Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 35, Racial Inequities. COVID-19 has essentially ripped the cover off of some of the deepest cracks in our current healthcare system. My guest, Dr. Ashley Duyaw, is a recent New Orleans area medical school graduate. Over the past four years of medical school, she has been active with Students for a National Health Program, also known as SNAP, on the local and national levels. She co-founded the SNAP chapter at her medical school and has held national leadership positions within SNAP, serving on the National Board for the 2019-2020 academic year. Most recently, she has worked on a campaign alongside a coalition of progressive organizations in New Orleans resulting in the unanimous passage of a resolution in support of Medicare for All by the New Orleans City Council. In July, Dr. Du Yaw will begin her residency in OBGYN in the Bronx Borough of New York. Dr. Ashley Du Yaw, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I'd like to start by asking you to please describe your work and how it relates to COVID-19. Sure. So I actually just graduated from medical school in New Orleans last week. And so students were taken out of the clinical setting just due to concern for shortages of PPE. And this has been across the country. So I've not really worked directly with the treatment of any patients with COVID-19. However, I have done some volunteering with testing patients in some of our more underserved communities in New Orleans. And you know, this has been my direct exposure to COVID-19 in terms of diagnosis, but I haven't had any exposure in treatment as a provider. Now, I will certainly have much exposure to that um, as I start my residency. I will be starting an obstetrics and gynecology residency in the Bronx in New York um, in July. So I will certainly have a lot of experience with COVID-19 patients once I get there. But Otherwise, I've really just been using a lot of my free time to stay up to date with some of the most recent scientific data that's been coming out at really such an incredible pace on COVID-19 and how it is affecting our country and the rest of the world. So do a lot of women who are planning to have babies, do they have COVID? So I'm not sure of the exact rates um, in specific areas. I know that in harder hit areas like Again, like in New York City or I'm sure here in New Orleans that um, some of those rates are mirroring the rates of cases that we're seeing in the rest of the population. I know that there are certainly women on the labor and delivery floors who are positive for COVID and it's an even greater concern for women who are already pregnant or who are thinking about becoming pregnant on just how to navigate this process in the middle of a pandemic. Um, there's a lot that we don't know about COVID-19, I think, in general, but particularly with pregnant women and with lactating women as well. And so that is a big area where I think we can improve on um, research and, and 
looking into just how these populations of patients are being affected by the virus. And what have you noticed about COVID-19 and how minority groups are affected? Well, we're certainly seeing that people of color are being disproportionately affected by the pandemic, both in number of cases and number of deaths resulting from COVID-19, unfortunately. And just to start with some specific numbers, in Louisiana and New Orleans, where I'm located, as of the data that's available on Louisiana Department of Health website today, 55% of the people who have died due to COVID-19 in Louisiana have been Black, while only 32% of our population is Black. And in Orleans Parish, where New Orleans is located, those numbers are pretty similar. Of the 500 people who have died in New Orleans, 76% of those have been Black, while only 61.2% of our population here in New Orleans is Black. And we're really seeing these trends all across the country. So in California specifically, Latinos comprise about 40% of California's population, but 53% of their positive cases. And even in San Francisco, Latinos comprise 15% of the population, but make up 43% of the confirmed cases. And we're seeing similar trends in Iowa and Washington, specifically in the Bronx, where, as I mentioned, I'll be doing my training. Um, there's more than half a million immigrants that live in the Bronx, and most speak a language at home other than English. So data has shown that for the COVID-19 cases in New York City, Hispanic and Latinx individuals who do constitute most of the immigrants in the Bronx are considerably more likely to die of COVID-19 than white New York City residents. And actually, I just came across some data right before we started recording that has just come out that said that nursing homes that have more Black and Latinx residents have actually been hit harder by the pandemic as well. So these disparities are really ubiquitous and, and are being seen across a wide range of settings. Now, as we mentioned, you are planning to become an OBGYN. And maternal, Black maternal death rates and infant mortality rates are much higher for African-Americans than for whites. Can you tell me what those differences were before this pandemic and if you know if COVID-19 has affected those statistics? Sure. So maternal mortality and morbidity is really one of the most egregious and clearly demonstrated examples of health inequity in this country. Prior to the pandemic, the United States was at the bottom of the rankings for maternal health and outcomes when compared to other wealthy nations. And in the United States, black women specifically are two and a half to three times more likely to die in childbirth or up to a year postpartum than white women. And what's actually really interesting about this statistic is that actually a third of these deaths are occurring within that time period from after delivery to 12 months postpartum. And while Medicaid covers 43% of births in this country, Medicaid coverage for pregnancy ends 60 days after delivery. So this can create a huge gap in care for issues related and unrelated to pregnancy in some of our most vulnerable populations who are having to rely on Medicaid. So at this point, it is too early to predict exactly how COVID-19 is going to affect maternal mortality and morbidity in this country, but we can only imagine that it's going to worsen the current situation. Because as we've seen, COVID-19 has essentially ripped the cover off of some of the deepest cracks in our current healthcare system and exposed the issues that have resulted in primarily people of color having such disparate health outcomes. So any strain that was already on 
women of color in terms of access to health care, especially in regards to prenatal care, will just be further worsened by COVID. And you can think of some of the things as just in terms of um, decreased rates of public transportation, more child care duties at home that will prevent being able to go to appointments, um, and even in some places decreased access to whatever medium is being used for telehealth when that is being substituted for in-person visits. And, you know, for patients who don't have Internet or broadband, these services may be unavailable. And so the maternal mortality crisis in this country is really just a parallel to what we're starting to see with COVID-19. The exact same issues in terms of disparate access to health care and, and prenatal care that we are seeing that's resulting in our awful rates of maternal mortality and morbidity is some of the exact same trends that we're seeing with people of color with COVID-19. And, you know, we're already seeing the impact of chronic stress due to inequities and structural racism. And this pandemic is really going to create an acute stress on top of that already present chronic stress. And so we know that this will most likely make things worse. We just don't have those numbers yet. And what about infant mortality rates? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and similarly, we do see that. Um, infant mortality is is worse for black patients than than white, and generally patients of color than white patients. Um, and I think what it's going to come down to is just going to be increased research that looks specifically at how COVID nineteen is affecting pregnant patients and their infants, um, especially when patients are positive. We just don't really have the data exactly on how COVID nineteen is affecting these patients. So that is something that I think, in addition to working on increasing access for these patients, is further studying pregnant patients and figuring out just exactly how this virus is affecting those patients. And one of the things now, you're going to a hotbed of COVID shortly because you're going to be working in the Bronx. And there was a Gallup poll that said that 14% of U.S. adults with COVID-19 would avoid care due to cost. Does this worry you? Oh, absolutely. You know, I wholeheartedly believe that healthcare is a human right for all people in this country, and everyone in this country should feel comfortable seeking care, especially during a pandemic such as this one when the treatment and containment of their potential infection with COVID-19 will so directly affect the lives of others, both in their homes and in their cities. And, you know, I think this is a problem we saw before the pandemic started, that a lot of um, adults in this country avoided seeking care because of the potential costs that could come, both insured and uninsured patients, because we always see surprise bills and, and just different ways that costs can still be inflicted on patients, even when they do have insurance. And so I think that has always been a concern of mine that patients are avoiding care, but particularly in the setting of a pandemic when kind of in this mindset of we're all in this together and all of our actions are directly affecting those around us. I think that it is vitally important that anyone who has symptoms or is concerned about potentially being infected with COVID-19 is able to seek high-quality care. Well, you said that we have this mindset that we're all in this together. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people don't have that mindset. But right. that's another <laughs> issue. You're right. So, 
So what do you think can be done, if anything, now to improve the outcomes for minority groups with COVID-19? Well, I, I think the first step, and as I'm sure many listening to this podcast may agree, is that Medicare for All would be a huge first step um, in ensuring that everyone in this country has access to high-quality care. Now, there are a couple of bills in the House and Senate that PNHP has endorsed that would provide this comprehensive emergency health care protection in the setting of the pandemic. One of those namely being the Healthcare Emergency Guarantee Act that would ensure that every single person without insurance would have um, access to insurance and those who are insured would be able to get care without cost sharing. And although it would not be as good as Medicare for All would be in this situation, I think it would be a good alternative in the setting of the pandemic. And I think it's important to remember that although Medicare for All would do a lot to bridge those gaps and healthcare outcomes for people of color, it would not be a fix-all for all of the inequity that we see in this country. Um, healthcare equity is such an intersectional issue, and, and it will require interventions from many different angles to ensure that that can be achieved. Now, another big thing is is data collection. We, at this point, do not have adequate data collection based on race and ethnicity to paint the full picture of what is going on with this pandemic for us. And I truly believe in order to work on fixing this problem, we need to know just how far these inequities reach. And so it's, it's really important to develop a system of um, measuring these disparities more accurately. And that includes doing more testing, specifically going out to these underserved communities and ensuring that all of those populations are tested and making sure that when we are testing and when we are tre- treating patients, we are accurately um measuring and looking at race and other socioeconomic status in general um, of these patients. Additionally, since so much of healthcare has moved to telemedicine at this point, we need to ensure that people have what they need for telemedicine to work. We need to ensure that those that people have access to the internet and broadband that they need in order to access this kind of care. And then finally, I think that it's an issue that we're seeing in communities where English is not the first language or the predominant language that is spoken at home, that we need to ensure that some of the data that is coming from the CDC and the guidance coming from the, our governmental agencies is being translated into language this is other than English. So I think a problem is that um, those who do not predominantly, primarily speak English, or potentially going to social media and other places where some of that information can be erroneous. So just ensuring that all of the information that is being put out, all the guidance that is being put out, is being put out in English in languages other than English. Okay, so I don't think Medicare for All is going to happen real soon. So do you think then that in terms of what we can do now, the best thing would be, what was it, the Healthcare Emergency Act? Yeah, I think the Healthcare Emergency Guarantee Act would would be a good alternative to Medicare for All. I think it is the closest that we can get at this point to comprehensive single-payer healthcare. Of course, it would not be single-payer because insurance companies would still be in the mix with the Healthcare Emergency Guarantee Act, but it would remove cost-sharing for patients that are insured by private insurers, and it would make sure that everyone who is uninsured 
is automatically enrolled into Medicare. So that bill was actually just recently introduced. And so I think it is a, this is a really good opportunity to take those first steps towards Medicare for all in light of this pandemic. So I want to come back to something you said you were talking about data collection and you said there were weak points in data collection. So does that mean the statistics are not good or if the statistics are okay, but we still have some weak points? Exactly. Yes. I think that the statistics that we have are good, but they're not necessarily complete. And I think a big part of that is just increasing testing that we're doing and making sure that we are reaching those people who are either avoiding coming to the hospital or to the clinic who have symptoms and ensuring we document that those people, if they are positive, are positive, um, and just ensuring that we're capturing a full picture of what is happening in this country. I think that the data already has shown us some of the disparities that we're starting to see, but I think there could potentially be more to see. Um, with how this pandemic is affecting people of color in our country. Now, one of the things we talked about the difference in black maternal death rates and black infant mortality rates, but also in this country, just in general, we have, I think the highest, and if not the highest, one of the highest infant mortality rates of any developed country. So with that in mind, what do you think would be the best solution to improve health outcomes for minorities for COVID-19 and other medical issues to produce better health outcomes for everybody in this country? I think it's clear that the best thing for us to do first would be improved and expanded Medicare for All. I think that Medicare for All would, as you said, improve outcomes across the board for all diseases and all healthcare issues, especially for COVID-19. Now, Medicare for All would not have prevented a pandemic from happening, but I think it would have helped our country respond a lot better. And I think it, as we've kind of talked about, would allow people the ease and comfort of knowing that they have healthcare and they do not have to worry about getting a multi-thousand dollar bill in the mail for seeking care and testing for COVID-19. And so, and even for maternal mortality, although Medicaid does cover pregnant patients in this country, there are always patients who slip through the cracks. And by having a universal healthcare system that will ensure everyone, regardless of race, socioeconomic status, citizenship, anyone who lives in this country, we can ensure that every person in the United States will have access to high-quality care. And I think that is the most important thing to focus on moving forward. So I assume that even as you were in medical school, you saw problems with people being able to afford health care. Oh, absolutely. In New Orleans, we see a lot of disparities with um, comorbidities and in general access to healthcare among our communities of color. And in the hospital where I did most of my training, many of our patients were uninsured. Or if they did have some form of insurance, many of them have just had just put off care 
for a long time because they knew that the cost sharing that they would be responsible for, so their co-pays and deductibles, would just be something that they couldn't afford. And unfortunately, I've seen many instances where it has just led to worsened outcomes that could have been prevented otherwise. You know, things like diabetics having to um, get amputations because they couldn't control their diabetes due to high prices of insulin. People, young, young people on dialysis, young people who, with heart failure, who, if they would have had the proper preventative care and healthcare access, would not have been at that state of health otherwise. And so it is, it is really unfortunate. And working with this population in general has really just fueled my passion for universal healthcare access in this country. And also, I can't really see myself working with a different population in the future. It was part of the reason why I was so drawn to working in the Bronx, just because the population in the Bronx is such a diverse patient population, similar to that, really probably more diverse than even what we have in New Orleans. Well, you bring up a good point in that there are consequences to the lack of health care that don't just include death. They can cause problems that can greatly diminish the quality of life. And I think sometimes we don't discuss that enough. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. So before we end, is there anything that you would like to add? Well, I really think that this pandemic, as I've mentioned already, has just exposed further out in the open the inequities that are in our current healthcare system. And I think that we are starting to see amongst people in the United States a growing momentum and support for a system like Medicare for All, a universal non-cost sharing system. And, you know, for anyone that is listening to this, if you are a physician or otherwise, your voices are very important. And at this time, we can really use all of our free time during this moment to advocate for Medicare for All and some of those emergency release bills like the Healthcare Emergency Guarantee Act. I think that we can use this moment without exploiting it, but really just taking some of the momentum that this has created and use it to move forward in this movement. So healthcare is a human right and time for Medicare for All. Well, it gives me great confidence that the next generation of doctors, or at least some of them, feels that way. Ashley, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.